Welcome, and thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Life in the Clouds podcast, your source for interesting conversations in enterprise technology, with your hosts, Dustin and Brittany. Well, anyway, just uh, getting back to curious about what exactly, you know, we talked a little bit about we're recording this in Madrid and had a little bit of a... you know, downtime today is why we set this all up. But do you want to go into you? You alluded to, um, you know, you really like evangelizing both externally and internally. And I think this is a, a trip that's a little bit more internal evangelism. So you just yeah. walk through like generally, what do you mean by that? What is internal evangelism and what are kind of the outcomes or goals that you're looking for when you do something like this? Yeah. So, so my role essentially is to get all of the strategically aligned businesses within Dell to kind of have one voice, so to speak. So at least it's not, yes, we do different things. And yes, we've had to our earlier point, like different experiences in those kind of things and therefore have different products that can help enable that. But essentially it's kind of, you know, one drum that we're really looking towards. And so that drum is really uh, standardizing or looking across kind of fundamentally how you're doing cloud computing on-premises, off-premises, which is inclusive of the edge, right? And so I think when we look at, you know, across the companies, how it is that you're telling that story, a lot of that is comes through salespeople, right? Like they're the closest oftentimes the the first person that can tell our customers or the external world about what it is that we're saying right like industry events are great podcasts like this are great um you know there are different avenues in which to get your message across but what you really want to do is make sure that your sales force fundamentally understands across the board kind of what what you want them or or what they should be telling their customers about our company. So that's what I'm here in Madrid doing is kind of fundamentally explaining to our Salesforce how and why they should think about different cloud strategies to help their customers through what it is they're going through today, what it is they'll be doing in the next, you know, one to to three years and how they should look at, you know, five years and beyond that. And so that message is kind of hard. That is helpful when you actually have live in-person Q&A with someone that not only kind of shows the message, walks through slides, and educates how to kind of have these conversations, but also can answer specific questions about accounts and so on and so forth. So that's what I'm here in Madrid doing. Um, We are on with all of the global strategic account representatives as well as partner representatives here in EMEA um, going through those trainings in what we call boot camps. And what's EMEA for those folks who may not know? So uh, it's Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, um, as far as an acronym goes. I know our industry has more than enough acronyms, but yeah, we choose to acronym as well our regions. Right. Yeah. So I guess uh, taking a step back a little bit and speaking more in generalities, not specifically how you do it at Dell, but like what's what's your personal methodology for what you explain seems like a lot of like trying to figure out where the puck's going to be and skate towards the puck to make the Wayne Gretzky hockey analogy, right? Like how do you how do you go about taking a step back, looking at the landscape and understanding where you think things might be on that horizon, like you said, one, three, five years out? 
Yeah, so I think a lot of that comes back to how I think about supply chain management and kind of fundamentals of how you should be thinking about processes as a whole, right? So when I talk about processes and, and kind of this idea of cloud strategies, which is really, you know, underpinning what you need to do in IT transformation, which is, you know, the crux of how you're becoming a more innovative business is really understanding, okay, what are those current processes or strategies that you guys have today? You know, and, and that's not only in your data and the technology that you have, but also in your people, right? I think fundamentally we're going from this stage, especially in cloud strategies of adoption to architecture, right? Everyone kind of wanted to do or touch the next coolest thing in order to say that they did, but now they have, so now what? Right. Yeah. And and it's a lot of uh, the principles are a lot of the fundamental things that I have led or like kind of rely on is a lot of the fundamental principles of supply chain management. Right. Mm -hmm. What are your bottlenecks in a business? That is kind of a huge thing that I think technologists haven't gone back to. You know, they're, they're everyone's trying to sprint towards this finish line that will never be right? And, right and so when i'm talking to customers about three to five years it's just this fundamental understanding that three to five years will always be further away than you want it to be mm -hmm. you know um if i look at emerging technologies like 5g or you know some of these other things that we always thought were more like five to seven years out hey now they're almost 18 months out like how are you also planning for the thought that you're planning for something five years out and it might actually be more like two, mm -hmm. you know, and so, how are you allowing that? So how do you, you mentioned a little bit and to summarize what you said, at least how I heard it is you kind of look at what the businesses are doing tactically now and trying to extrapolate where that might be in, in the next few years, months, like whatever the time horizon is. How do you balance that type of modeling versus a, you know, we're going to use a lot of buzzwords in this podcast, I'm sure, but like you hear a lot about disruption and disruptors who are disrupting industries, which typically aren't looking at that. What have we done recently? How do we remove the bottlenecks? They're looking at it from a completely different angle or a completely different viewpoint, maybe to the scope of an entire industry. Like, how do you balance that type of thing in your factoring in for what a three to five year like strategic model might look like? Yeah, so when we talk to customers, I think the value of a customer is their ability to want to kind of open their kimono, so to speak, right? The more that you, and again, just using a buzzword, but the more that <laughs> a customer is free to sort say, risque hey, analogy, I'd say, well, but you know, <laughs> hey, I, I, we would love to be doing this in three to five years, right? And then as any goal, you kind of work back tactically as to, okay, what are kind of the key milestones that you have to hit mm -hmm. in order to get ultimately there, right? Right. And then like any good project planner, cool, let's say that you have to shorten that timeline now into less than two years. Like what does that mean for your team? Mm -hmm. How do you have to think about things like you know, skill set readjustment. How do you have to hire for these things, right? Like, not that I love Gartner and all their magic quadrants or whatnot. I'm not talking down upon them, but <laughs> actually Gartner in 2018, I think kind of nails it. And they said, company's biggest challenge by 2021 is not going to be the, the innovation that they have in their back pocket. It's going to be able to hire for that innovation mm -hmm. and actually having the skill sets. And I think 
that's what I mean by talking companies through is it's all well and good to have a five-year plan, but if you don't understand the first six to six months to a year plan of what that five-year plan looks like, that'll really hurt you. And so I think when I talk to customers, that's where I like to start. And then, you know, some are a little bit more coy. Some don't, they like to play it a little bit more close to the vest. Some some vendors specifically, I actually find more as they go down in leveling. So if you go from, you know, a C level to an SVP level, or you go an SVP level down to a VP or director level, I do find that lower levels actually keep things way closer to the vest and want to know from a vendor experience exactly what you have to give to me as opposed to having this more like brainstorming high level game of what it is that we could at a higher level partner on together. Do you think that has to deal with like their being closer to the actual execution of the work and understanding more discreetly what's involved? Oh, absolutely. And I'm not trying to uh, raise your blood levels or have you understand like what it would be like, but (laughs) I actually find that customer meetings with lower level IT folks are actually more combative in nature. And then you don't have this mutual kind of love yet. Now, that's also hard at an evangelist level for them to take me seriously. So I think that, again, we kind of go back to this whole game and technology where you rely on what have you done for me lately? How cool are you? And, you know, do I think you're full of bull or Mm -hmm. what? Um, But I, I think that's how I look at my customers is I say, okay, where is it that you want to go? Okay. What are your realistic expectations for getting there? Okay. Let's see, you know, again, if you had to shorten this by two years, what's actually your plan. Right. And I think it's that last question that most customers don't fundamentally come face to face with that often. It's time to talk about our sponsor, G1 Consulting Group. G1 provides many services from software implementation to strategic business development. Their diverse team of consultants has experience across dozens of industries and companies. What sets G1 apart is its focus on cultivating a trusted partnership with their clients, ultimately sharing in outcomes and successes. If you have a project that's stuck or a new initiative that you're undertaking or need help exploring the business landscape, contact G1 Consulting Group. You can find them at www.g1cg.com. That's www. G, the number one, cg.com. So taking that approach, though, how much do you get of the, well, I want a faster horse versus the cars coming in in 10 years, and it doesn't matter how fast the horses or the carriages that I make, I build, I'm going to be back to the disruption argument, right? Like none of the, like none of the auto companies, nor cab companies, nor anything, nor the analyst firms that covered those industries would have would have predicted Uber Lyft situation. You know, obviously that's kind of cherry picking a little bit because it's most obvious, but you know, that's kind of a classic example of an industry and specific companies that have, have done that wide scale disruption that likely would not have been on those three to five year strategic roadmaps. Like, is there anything that companies can be doing to guard against that? Or how do you deal with that? Yeah, so I I think that there's some really good and great examples within the industry, like even today, right, LinkedIn's top 10 company list came out. And, you know, within those, most of them are technology companies. And one of the things that is kind of throughout 
are two different fundamentals that I saw in both of them. Do you think that's biased by the fact that LinkedIn itself is a technology company, perhaps? Sure, but that doesn't change the fundamental principles that I'm about to explain. One of them is that people are always able to do side projects or kind of go above and beyond their only responsibility and they're encouraged in their day job to do that. And that's not saying, okay, here, I'm going to give you 100% of your time work. It's actually saying, here, I'm going to dictate 80% of your time, 20% of your time, or even 10% of your time, whatever the metric is that that company suggests is go and figure out what it is you love, why you love it, and and see if you can do something to invigorate or improve what you're currently doing, right? And and so I think that's a cool principle that a lot of technologies or companies today that if they want to become more innovative or kind of think about their industry in a different way, they need to encourage employees to also do that, right? I think a lot of people that have disrupted industries have been those folks that have been getting frustrated by that industry um, and or they understand fundamentally how technology works and can put that technology to a problem better, mm-hmm. right? So, so they either come and they're technology and focused, in which case... I think you should be educating your technology team completely um, or they're really business focused in which I think you should also be giving your business teams kind of the freedom and flexibility to think beyond what they do. Right. Right. Um, and that's the kind of balance between industry experts as well as, you know, kind of fundamental fundamentalism in what it is that they do. Yeah, that can be tough, though, I'd say just like as an engineer, because, yeah, you hear a lot of like the top tier companies to your point, maybe it's the top 10. Maybe that was a factor in the LinkedIn survey, but you hear the Google 20 percent time in these other companies. But there's definitely a long tail after that initial, you know, best 10 companies to work for where the 20 percent time or extra time is not a reality. And like you're fairly constrained in terms of executional work to get things done that directly impact top line revenue or you know the bottom totally line totally and and i agree and i think fundamentally those companies that are able to give that time are companies that probably have more cash on hand are able to kind of throw money at higher the margins problem. yeah and so I, i'm not saying that i think another principle actually of, of most of those companies and again to your point they fall in tech companies whether they are it's kind of an industry focus or you know it's linkedin generated or what have you they give their employees flexibility in how they work. So it's kind of these two different realms of thinking. Either I'm going to have my employee work the way I want them to, but I'm gonna give them 20% of their time to do what they want um, in hopes that they will you know, garner something bigger for our business because I've contractually obligated them to anything they do create under my roof is now mine or giving a flexibility as far as work-life balance, right? Like not having to commute, not having to, you know, really commute, (laughs) you know, like not having to commute, not having to be in a certain place, wearing a certain thing every day actually makes a lot of people happy in another regard, right? It it gives them more flexibility in their home life. And then maybe they're more well-rested or more well-rounded to be a better employee, you know, in their work life. So I, I see those two fundamental principles as being key drivers to helping companies with innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that there is best practices in having, you know, a, a solid M&A team, a solid innovation team, you know, kind of these other key things that have happened 
um, probably based again in the tech industry, but have been adopted now in, you know, retail industries like you've been in, in or several other companies that I can think of. Yeah, I think M&A in particular is generally overlooked by, at least it was when I was coming up in an engineer, but that's such a huge aspect of being able to catch that next wave, right? If you can just acquire, the, like look at Facebook with Instagram and WhatsApp, and there's any number of, um, you know, historic companies that end up becoming conglomerates that would have been beaten out by the emerging trends and emerging technology, but they just have enough cash to buy the company or do some sort of, you know, leverage buyout scenario, et cetera. And we'll get too much into the corporate finance angle, but um, you know, it's something that's definitely a great point that it's, that it's key. And this is another good point too, is I think actually, and, and they didn't touch upon this in the top 10, but I think another big innovation factor of companies is this ability to have people rotate throughout different business units so that you are, you know, highlighting these folks and saying, Hey, they were so good in what they did. We want to take their expertise and move it to different teams. I actually think that that rotation of you know taking technical engineers and putting them in customer service or putting them in different teams right would benefit of innovation and companies have to execute that in a way that it's looked upon as an elitist thing to do um and and that is very hard right because a lot of these rotational programs you kind of are only there for a short period of time. And so people don't really give you the meaty work because you may not want to be there the whole time. But I think that's another thing that could really spur on innovation if executed correctly within companies too. Yeah, I think for sure. I'm a big believer in, um, you know, kind of rotating through different areas, different verticals. I don't know if it's a generational type thing, but it's definitely something to kind of be cognizant of, but also to look out for because there are certain companies, certain industries, and certain specific leaders who value that more or less, right? So common knowledge these days will say, you know, yeah, rotate through different programs, get exposed to different things. But tactically, when it comes down to it, some leaders are looking for like developed depth at a particular skill. And like there are some skills that require such deep depth, you know, like a lot of the data science verticals that we see are just pure PhDs who have been pure data science. And that's not something that you're necessarily going to be able to root into very easily and come up to speed. Um, so, I mean, I think there's like anything, there's a balance there. Um, I would say in, oh, in, the, in, in the same way you alluded to a little bit of the work-life balance and remote working, I will disagree with you there. I'm a big believer in face-to-face -face interactions and in-person work. Um, and I don't know if maybe that's just a personal preference type thing, but I think that, you know, being a remote employee, you kind of miss some of those organic interactions, the water cooler talk, the ability to redirect body language like yeah we have a lot better more sophisticated video conferencing techniques and there are things like that but there's something to be said with you know the face-to-face in-person tactical interactions um, as you go through completely and i i think the benefit of my team all albeit like a very remote team we're all across the world we're not just you know across the uh, across the US is that we do have times quarterly where as a team we are together albeit for a conference or what have you. So we do get that team interaction, which I agree fundamentally you need in order to be able to have more of a video conferencing or Slack or communication type relationship um, among employees. So I think that that is fundamental, but... Um, yeah, to push beyond that too, not just your team, but like running into somebody who maybe to your point about the cross-pollination, like not necessarily that you're moving, but just running into somebody that 
you may not have on your media team, but you otherwise like might work with in a project down the road and being able to well, and foster I think that, some of that relationship. That really depends on the company though too, right? Like either your company is set up as a remote workplace. And so globally, like you do get together a lot because you have, you know, you don't have the budget of having to keep employees in a brick and mortar location. You have the ability to bring them together at a conference in which they have meals together in which you know, they are kind of cross pollinating and everyone knows that they're all in a location to kind of see each other. So I do feel like you get that if you're able to accomplish that enough. But I also feel like if you are in a company where everyone is there, being a remote employee can have its disadvantages. So so there is kind of a fundamental thing, which is the company as a whole has to adopt the remote employee circumstance. Um, and I think for, you know, my current employer, that's how they've been able to garner high talent, actually. I, I think that has been an innovative differentiator. And, and just to go back to what we were fundamentally talking about, which was, you know, how do you talk to employees or, or these customers at a C-level about how to effectively get to innovation in mm. a shorter amount of time? And there is... Just to be clear, I wasn't saying at a C-level, like just generally positioning because i would argue that like again maybe like personal position and things but the c-level isn't necessarily what i mean it sure it, it it provides the like senior leadership executive leadership but that doesn't necessarily make the execution for the company right and in fact i would actually argue that they find they have the final say but they are not day-to-day nitty-gritty making the decisions i agree with you i'm just saying that when you have these kind of higher level thought leadership meetings, that's what I was talking about. Usually when you get down into an organization, it's project based as opposed to where do you see your company in five years? Mm -hmm. And that's all I fundamentally meant by that. Not that you can't have these innovative conversations about how someone should think about their team or kind of create this innovation lab within their community and then have it expand out throughout the whole corporation. I'm just saying about, you know, fundamental higher level ideas, I guess, uh, of how culture is developed. Makes sense. All right, folks, that's it for this week's podcast. If you want to check us out, please visit us at www.lifeinthecloud.dev. And we're on most social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. There you can find us at Life in the Cloud 5. That's Life in the Cloud number 5. You know, unfortunately, Life in the Clouds was taken on most of those platforms, so we did what we could. Thank you to our sponsor for this week's podcast, G1 Consulting Group. That's G1CG.com. And also our music is Bless Life by Ketza. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining us. We hope this was helpful and informative, and we hope to have you back next week. Take care.